Assalamualaikum everyone and welcome to this panel on freedom and social justice hosted by the Imam Ali conference. Uh, my name is Sada. I'm really excited to be moderating this panel today with our two esteemed scholars who I'll introduce briefly now. We have a panel on freedom and social justice hosted by the Imam Ali conference. Uh, my name is Sada. I'm really excited to be moderating this panel today with our two esteemed scholars who I'll introduce briefly now. We have with us Dr. Hassan Abbas, who's a distinguished professor of international relations at the Near East South Asia Strategic Studies Center, National Defense University in Washington, D.C. He's a senior advisor at the Project on Shiaism and Global Affairs at Harvard University's Divinity School, where I also work as a research associate. And his current work is on building narratives for countering political and religious extremism and rule of law reforms in developing states. His latest book, which I'm sure we all know, is The Prophet's Heir, The Life of Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, which provides a portrait of Ali ibn Abi Talib, the man who assumed the spiritual mantle of Islam to spearhead the movement that the Prophet had led. We also have with us Sheikh Muhammad Omar Ramadan, who is the chairman of the Ramadan Foundation. He became the youngest person to be interviewed on the world's renowned BBC Hard Talk to discuss the July 7th terrorist attacks in London and the response from the Muslim community in the UK. And one of his central messages is to promote tolerance and peaceful coexistence. So inshallah, I'm really excited to benefit from the political and religious expertise of both of these scholars as we talk about words that get thrown around a lot um, in America, in the liberal secular West, freedom and social justice and what these things sort of mean in uh, the ethos of Imam Ali. So I'll give the floor first to Sheikh Muhammad Omar uh, Ramadan. Please, Sheikh. Jazakal khair, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiyai wa al-mursaleen wa ala alihi al-tayyibin wa al-tahirin wa sahabatihi ridwan Allahu alim al-jum'in Thank you sister for your kind introduction and I want to thank uh, the Imam Ali conference for this kind invitation uh, I want to get straight to our uh, area of discussion today which is on Imam Ali alayhi salam Amir al-Mu'mineen the upholder to freedom and social justice uh, there's a claim uh, that if you study the, uh, political theory, that the first individual to conceptualize the rights of citizens uh, was Imam Ali himself. There's a debate amongst academics that uh, ancient Greeks uh, or the Roman, uh, the times of the Romans, rights that we understand in the modern uh, connotation was not defined. Uh, but if you go to the books of Sirah, if you go to the books of Manaqib and so forth, especially the letters that were written by Amir al-Mu'mineen, one thing that becomes very envisaged uh, from those writings is Imam uh, is Amir al-Mu'mineen's theory and Amir al-Mu'mineen's uh, political uh, uh, assertion to conceptualize the citizens' rights. Uh, now, before him, either, neither the Prophet sallallahu alayhi nor did his Khulafa uh, Abu Bakr, Omar, uh, and Uthman, none of them actually uh, engage in the theorization of what is governance and what is a Muslim society. 
how do we how do we define a, an Islamic country, an Islamic government? And one of the reasons behind that was because they were facing challenges and crises of their time. It was only at the time of Amir al-Mu'mineen when the Muslims had matured, other uh, tribulations had occurred, that Amir al-Mu'mineen, when he became the leader, he then had the time and he had uh, an ability to theorize this. This is uh, quite, uh, or this is demonstrated in length by a letter that Amir al-Mu'mineen writes to his confidant and his close companion, the governor of Egypt, Sayyiduna Malik al-Ashtar al-Nakha'i radiallahu anhu, uh, one of the great uh, supporters of Imam Ali. In that letter, Amir al-Mu'mineen in length, to summarize, the letter is quite lengthy, which is found in Ajul Balagha, it's found in many other historical uh, manuscripts. Amir al-Mu'mineen debates three ideas and he puts forth and he conceptualizes holistically this idealism of what is governance, what is freedom, and what is social justice. The first idea is who should rule? Secondly, how should one rule? And thirdly, why do we need a government? Taking into account all of these three aspects of the theory of a state, the legitimate political system for an Islamic uh, society, according to Amir al-Mu'mineen, he, uh, he defines it in a way in which I would interpret it modernly as calling it a welfare limited guardianship. Quite similar to Max Weber's concept of the tripartite classification of authority. Uh, in fact, it was Amir, uh, after Amir al-Mu'mineen's lengthy letter, we see, for example, his grandson, Imam al-Sajjad, Zainul Abidin Ali bin Hussein, radiallahu anhu wa ridwanallahu alim al-jama'een, he writes what we call Sahif al-Kamila al-Sajjadiyya, or Hukuk al-Sajjadiyya, the treaties of human beings, the rights of a state, the rights of individuals, the rights of so forth. So this uh, first argument put forth by uh, many of the supporters of Amir al-Mumin shows his, his, his delicate manner of dealing with defining of what an Islamic society is, what is this uh, concept, uh, conceptualization. In freedom and, 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 and the concept of social justice, I have very limited time. It's, it's, it's a very vast subject. But one of the things that becomes very clear to me as an academic and as a scholar who researches in traditional sciences is Amir al-Mu'mineen's sense of social justice, Amir al-Mu'mineen's sense of upholding freedom. For example, when the delegation came to Amir al-Mu'mineen and said to Amir al-Mu'mineen from Egypt, at that time Egypt was not supporting him, that if you did one thing, only one thing, we would give you the support of all of Egypt against Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Amir al-Mu'mineen said, what was that? They said, appoint Amr bin As as the governor. Amir al-Mu'mineen Tehran said, I cannot do that for indeed he is unjust. I cannot do that which is injustice. This shows a utopia of the type of world that Amir al-Mu'mineen is trying to continue from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Further, if you look at the tribulations of Jamal, when Az-Zubair and Al-Talha and Aisha Ridwan Allahumma Ali Mujmaeen rose up against Amir al-Mu'mineen in the Battle of Jabal. We find one thing very clear: Amir al-Mu'mineen gave them their freedom and he gave them their liberties, even though three individuals who are highly, highly respected amongst the community could have been arrested for treason and for many other reasons against uh, uh, crimes against the state. But Amir al-Mu'mineen upheld their freedom. A further indication is even at the Battle of Sifin, 
when he fights Muawiyah. Muawiyah very infamously says, uh, ask a number of questions to Amir al-Mu'mineen, in which Amir al-Mu'mineen echoes and says, bless all praise is due to Allah, that even our enemies in the battlefield need our knowledge. Further, I want to go towards the ending of what I want to present to them is a further clear indication of one of the biggest tribulations that Amir al-Mu'mineen faced, which was the Khawarij, this, uh, this narrow-minded, sadistic, killing uh, ideology, takfir ideology, takfirism originates from these people. They were the ones that murdered Abdullah bin Khabar bin Arad, and there's many incidents and many examples of their atrocities. Yet Amir al-Mu'mineen did not stop them from enjoying their liberties and their freedoms. In fact, continuing on from the policies of Umar bin al-Khattab, Amir al-Mu'mineen provided what we, what we call a public welfare system. He provided individuals with money and support, income support. These members of the Khawarij, even though they were known to be outlaws and a menace to society, Amir al-Mu'mineen still did not violate their rights and still provided them with what we call sustenance and so forth. These are all indications of the greatness and how he uphold freedom and social justice. In concluding, what I would say is we have to also be very extremely careful that we don't understand a connotation of the term freedom in a Western uh, a colonization, but we understand it holistically from what the Quran says, what the Aimma have said, and what our scholars have said. Again, I want to thank uh, the organizers for this opportunity. There's a lot to discuss, but inshallah, maybe in the future, we can have a further discussion. Uh, and maybe in, the com maybe in the question and answers, I can share a bit of more things with you. Jazakal uh, khair, thank you for your time. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much, Sheikh. Jazakallah khair. I think what you're saying about the sort of baseline dignity that is afforded people and like the sort of uh, conception of Imam Ali of what it means to live in a just society and what justice even is. And I think it's also uh, interesting you bring up Weber because when we're talking about sort of the canon or like the hadith of political theory in the Western Academy, we throw around these names like Weber and I'm really interested in what it would look like to sort of build indigenously Islamic sort of political theory and uh, the idea of what a state is. And of course, this is a question that plagues the Muslim community for the entirety of its existence, even after um, Imam Ali. You know, what is the caliphate? What is leadership? Who gets to lead? Um, and we have sort of a sort of interesting, uh, really interesting ways that this gets sliced up by different scholars over time. Um, but I think it's so imperative. And maybe you can, I'll just ask you this, this quick question before I give the floor um, to Dr. Abbas. But what do you think should be sort of the prerogative of the Muslim community in incorporating these indigenously Islamic theories into sort of how we conceive of governance in the West? Uh, well, that's, that, that's a, a very interesting question. And one of the things that we have uh, is uh, uh, examples from early Islam of how Muslims engaged in, uh, has minorities 
in, in, in majority countries that were not Muslims uh, ruled, how to engage politically, how to engage socially. And one of the things that we Muslims have failed to identify is what I call an, uh, an identity crisis, maybe not in the US, but especially within European Muslims. Am I a Pakistani? Am I a British? Am I a French? Am I a European? Echoing what Tariq Ramadan calls, I wouldn't go as far as what he theorizes, the idea that we have a European family, but there is an identity crisis. Muslims need to be able to reinforce these theories that have been put forth by our leaders and be able to express them in the best of way. Unfortunately, when we fail to do that, that is the reason why we have the response, for example, to the recent burning of the Quran, where Muslims are unable to conceptualize intellectually, academically, their arguments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I and actually there will be another panel, inshallah, within this conference about identity crisis, because I think identity politics is something that has racked us as a community for so long and something that we really need to sort of move beyond and build beyond. Um, I I could speak to you all day, but I think it's time that we now hear from our esteemed panelist, Dr. Abbas. I, I now give the floor to you. Um, Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Thank you very much. I am truly honored uh, to be in this panel, at this conference, especially in the uh, company of, of the, the moderator, who's an, a scholar also, and Sheikh Ramadan. Uh, Sheikh Ramadan had made this uh, much easier for me because the, the way he has set the stage, he has touched upon some of the most central features um, of what is freedom all about and what justice is all about in the context that we are talking about. Let me begin with one quote, uh, perhaps the shortest quote uh, from Imam Ali alayhi salam, but I think the most profound one. Uh, Imam had said, Amir Mawini had said, People are your subjects or people are of two kinds, either your brother in faith or your brother in humanity. I think this was the central idea of equality and equality and freedom go hand in hand. Without equality or the idea of equality and equity, there is no idea of freedom and no idea of justice. And I'll, I'll explain how these three linked um, in the teachings of Imam Ali. But this is how I wanted to frame it. <coughs> Secondly, I would argue that, um, as was rightly pointed out, uh, at times we, we use these modern phrases which have an old, own European, Western, uh, recent historical context. Um, and and uh, at times there's a wrong effort to necessarily try to fit in the Islamic uh, principles, the Islamic ideals and values into that frame. Um, and that time, at times for any uh, thinking people, any any of those who are thoughtful and those who are into the pursuance of knowledge and excellence can can create confusion. But just we can use those as as hooks in this idea. I would argue, to begin with, that there are two or three principles, depending on the time I'll go into all three, but maybe two, which are the defining characteristics of the idea of freedom and the idea of justice and how they are linked. First and foremost, I think if there was anything which Imam Ali throughout his life was fighting for, fighting for intellectually as well as uh, physically when needed, was the idea to fight against oppression and fight against authoritarianism. 
because authoritarianism is the biggest enemy of freedom. Freedom to think, freedom to interpret, freedom to share your ideas. And it is authoritarianism and oppression which just takes away the, the soul of these ideas. So whether you study Anahjul Balagha or especially the uh, Imam Ali's letter to Malik al-Ashtar, it becomes so clear that uh, at every point, Imam is doing two things. One, he's challenging the idea of authoritarianism, which, which tragically in the Islamic history has become a main feature. You, you pick a history book of Islam, uh, whether it is Umayyads or Abbasids or later on even, um, many Muslim empires, the way the Muslims build their modern state and society also, the, the idea of the, the authoritarian mechanism seems to be the galvanizing factor. And this is so tragic uh, because this takes away the spirit of Islam. So I wanted to emphasize on one that point. Secondly, um, I remember as a, as a very humble student of um, Islamic studies and ideas, when I uh, read Najil Balagha and some of the other quotations from Imam, and this is one other factor, how, um, how much uh, of Imam's legacy and knowledge and scholarship was um, retained. I mean, there's no other personality other than the great, uh, of course, uh, his master and our master and our beloved uh, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Other than him, his hadith uh, literature is there, but other than uh, him, uh, you compare the collection of all the Sahaba Ikarams, their, 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 their statements, their anecdotes, their stories, their speeches, their writings. They're on one side, Imam Ali's on, on the other side. And it was because of the, uh, of the profound nature of this. So the, the second theme that I found so much uh, spread across Imam's teachings is the idea of the rights of the poor. At mm. every point, Imam is emphasizing be careful about the poor. Now, he's not saying this poor, what is his belief system? What is his religion? When Imam had become the caliph, he never asked, um, okay, who are the people who were with me when uh, the challenge of Saqif had happened? Or who were the people with me who were my friends? Or who were on my side politically or religiously? I'll not go into that details. But Imam never had a bias for anyone towards him or against him. What was that? One he accepted the freedom of everyone to, um, to make their position, even if those decisions and ideas were against him. He never kept a grudge in a sense that we think he did. And, and that was because he accepted the idea of uh, freedom of everyone. And secondly, he never believed in imposing um, in any authoritarian fashion what he believed in. Yes, when mm -hmm. he became the caliph, he made some of the points very, very clear. On his first day, the statement that Imam Ali made he said, okay, anyone who has taken anyone else's rights, whether they were the ruling elite, which he was referring to, he said, I'm going to take back those rights. And anyone who thinks that they are going to have a right on me or that they will have a special favor, whether they are my brothers or somebody else, they should be clear that that is not going to happen. I think that was um, a central idea through which the idea of justice flows, through which the idea of freedom flows. Mm -hmm. uh, one, a couple of statements, for instance, uh, from Najil Balagha that, that stay in my mind always. Uh, one is um, his emphasis uh, on the common person. When, when he said the displeasure of the common people, and it's my translation, displeasure of the common people outweighs the approval of the important people. He's somehow always on the side of the, uh, those who are disempowered, those who have nothing against 
taking their rights because he's always referring to there are rights of rulers over the ruled and the ruled over the rulers and he said um mm-hmm. at one point if that is not there is not balance it it leads to oppression that's how i would frame the this central idea of imam and uh, on justice uh, again a letter to malik alashtar and, and i'm referring to that letter again and again for a reason it is such such a tragedy that uh, our sectarian narratives and divisions have taken from us some of the most beautiful legacies of islam which is one of this is le- uh, the letter to malik alashtar which frames the ideas of equality of justice in an islamic context so clearly um, and equality uh, but those are taken away and i will just leave, uh, spend a second uh, mentioning on this uh, it needs to be probed why the letter to uh, malik alashtar despite its profound um thoughtfulness and the idea of governance why it has not become mainstream in muslim thinking today for example mm-hmm. it is because many people have biased with the name of malik alashtar they because of the historical context uh, the grudges the biases that are entrenched because of the fixation on certain uh, our own narrative i belong to tradition x i belong to tradition y so in that process we have lost the ideals of imam ali and imam ali's ideals were not his personal ideals everything that and I'm, i often quote when i was working on my book on imam ali the prophet say and i was meeting ayatullah sayyid saidul hakim in and i asked him when i was leaving i said sayyid please tell me one final message he said be very clear you're writing a biography of imam ali there was nothing that imam ali did that was his personal thinking or philosophy everything he knew was what he learned from the great prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam whatever he did was a translation or interpretation or dissemination of of the message of the great master and mm-hmm. those messages were about the rights of the ordinary people and the poor people i uh, uh, i will end with i have so much to say on this and uh, some of the remarks from the moderator and sheikh really inspired me but i'll close with this one other example i mean there could have been tons of examples on the idea of judiciary in the way imam before montesco or russo or or the or the european enlightenment imam had said the the judicial office should not be under the influence of the executive so the idea of separation of uh, different branches of the government which we take pride on rightly so today because that creates a certain level of accountability imam ali had so clearly and categorically said that because that then establishes idea of justice and freedom i'll close mm-hmm. with the final words of imam um and emphasize one point when when it he was in his final moments and this is from mainstream um our, our historical context and he is giving his final message while taking his final uh, breath he said um, uh, to his sons and the other people who were around him uh, one point uh, which is slightly different but because it is there in that message i'll start with that he said um hold fast uh, to the rope of god and avoid discord i heard abul qasim hazrat muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wasallam and he quotes him the renewal of unity is, is better than all your prayers and fasting and then he said fear god with regard to those who have a right to your protection and hospitality mm-hmm. fear god fear god with regard to the protection protection granted by your prophet and do not allow that dhimmi to be oppressed among you who was the dhimmi at that time christians and jews and others uh, who were not belonging to the faith of mm-hmm. islam in his final moment he is concerned about the rights of those people 
because he acknowledged the freedom of everyone. He didn't mean to or believe in oppression nor wanted anyone after him to oppress people. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, against to be against authoritarianism, to stand for fighting oppression, and the, to stand for the idea of rights of everyone is what, what is the soul of Islam uh, uh, from Amir al-Mu'minin's point of view. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jazakallah Khair. You touched on so many things. And again, I think this is a conversation we could have all day. But I think sort of something that I'm hearing from both of you, first of all, this letter to Madhik al-Ashtar, of course, it's a masterpiece. Um, and the idea that so much of sort of the amazing literature and personalities from the Islamic canon are overlooked or not engaged with seriously um, because of polemics within the Muslim community, I think is really important. But just to touch on this idea of freedom, I mean, it seems that the purpose of freedom is to sort of remove the roadblocks for a person's spiritual growth and journey. Like it seems like sort of Imam Adi's ethos and this freedom, it's like uphold the rights of the poor, make sure there's no authoritarianism, make sure there's no sort of oppression, make sure that there are no systemic and um, sort of physical barriers for people to be able to pursue their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like if a person is going to arrive on the day of judgment, having not traversed their path, make sure it's not on your account. Make sure that you make this life as easy for people as possible. And I think that's really intimately tied to the idea of justice in Islam, which is that everything should be in its proper place. Wealth should be in its proper place. Uh, respect, authority should all be in its proper place. Love should be in its proper place. I mean, that is what justice is at its core. And I'll, um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I'll just pose this final question to both of you and you can each um, answer uh, as briefly as possible as I'm being told by the organizers. Um, What do you think is sort of, for someone who, uh, is interested in these topics, is, is interested in sort of building out um, an Islamic idea of, of justice and freedom in the modern world. Besides this letter to Malik al-Ashtar, which we know is a masterpiece, where do we sort of begin? Um, in the writings of Imam Ali, but also um, in, uh, you know, in, in all our texts and all our books, what is sort of the system that you would advise for people interested in this topic. Please, uh, Dr. Abbas, I call on you first. Thank you so much. I think um, the answer was in one of the statements you made, um, very well framed, uh, to remove the roadblocks to uh, spiritual excellence, because that's where the most uh, problematic obstacles and challenges come in. And because that is where the imposition of ideas uh, come in. So, mm-hmm. and I'll give example only one, given the time uh, when Khawarij started their campaign, it was not necessarily violent to begin with, mm-hmm. but they were sitting in the mosque in Kufa. Imam Ali never stopped them from challenging him. He in- involved them, engaged with them in intellectual religious discourse. Even when uh, they became violent and they were uh, eliminated, um, some people said, okay, throw them in, dig one big grave, throw them in. And he said, no, 
he are in some cases he said we will uh, recite um, the funeral prayers on them because he said they were um, uh, distracted or they were distanced and they went on the wrong path but he was not ready to just uh, declare all of them uh, in a in a certain category so mm -hmm. so that's where we start from tolerance accepting the other's view and most importantly engaging how many different i come back to the point how many different sects of islam i mean we have such great uh, personalities with luminaries like sheikh ramadan who engaged with all sides uh, but uh, going to ordinary scholars and i'm including everyone the shia the sunni the uh, salafi everyone how many engagements happen engagements are not happening because there's not tolerance there's no mm -hmm. tolerance because we don't respect the idea of freedom of having a religious discourse the mm -hmm. the blockages are right there in our minds we need to first eliminate them then the pathway to spiritual excellence is right in front of us thank you inshallah yeah i think that's that's the biggest i think obstacle to just governance and to just and to freedom and to justice is our own spiritual roadblocks our own egos that is the tainting factor i mean that is the thing like on the micro level that becomes macro and that leads to injustice um sheikh I, I give you the floor for our closing comments. Um, if, if you would like to answer the question I posed, or if you would like to leave the audience with whatever you see fit at this point. Thank you. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you to all to organizers and thank you to Dr. Hassan Abbasi for his beautiful words. I think one of the things that I would advise students of knowledge, researchers and academics is to remove this uh, polemical differences that we have. So when we approach historical context and when we approach historical narratives we do it not from a polemical uh, perspective this is one of the things that i do uh, under my uh, role at the center for intra-muslim studies in birmingham since mm. where we bring different scholars together to look at how do we view this and i think one one of the things i would advise our young uh, students of knowledge is that you don't need to reject everything in a certain book if you are from a different uh, orientation uh, or different background. So if you do not agree, let's say, with a Shia background theologically, you can still massively benefit from some of the literature and some of the writings and some of the quotations in Ajul Balagha, especially the letter that Amir al-Mu'mineen writes to his student and his confidant. So I think we have to remove this narrow-mindedness, engage with each other, sit with each other, and be able to holistically look at this. And this is Finally, one of the reasons why people like such great statesmen and uh, leaders and uh, scholars like Malik uh, Al-Ashtar, one of the reasons why Malik bin Harith is not really uh, wholeheartedly uh, welcomed within the community is because of a political endeavor at that time to paint him with a negative image of being amongst the murderers of Uthman, عنه, which is a total lie and which is a, 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 an accusation a fabrication uh, against his greatness. So I think engagement is extremely important. Again, I thank Sayyid Jubad al-Qazwini and the whole team uh, for this kind invitation. And inshallah, in the future, we can share more uh, information. Thank you very much. Jazakallah khair. 
Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah, thank you so much to both of you. I benefited tremendously from this gathering and um, inshallah, I'll be contacting you both directly for more gatherings, inshallah, and more conversations. And I'll just close with a, with a thank you to the organizers of the Imam Ali conference. May inshallah, all these panels bring uh, benefit and blessings. And may we all be able to remove our own spiritual roadblocks um, be comfortable with disagreement um, in the historical sources and amongst ourselves and build, inshallah, pious selves among us in the Muslim community and build um, build a just society for our brothers in faith and our brothers in humanity, inshallah. And um, if any of the viewers have any comments, questions, please reach out to um, us, the organizers, our esteemed scholars. We look forward to engaging with you. And jazakallah khair. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum.